Well, speaking of speaking of influencers, <laughs> I've got a couple that I want to present to you here today. Not really. <laughs> the influencer here is uh, Brother Luke as he comes to us from Acts chapter 5 and tells us the story of uh, Peter and the Apostles. And so remember, we are in uh, this section in your notes, uh, verses 24 through 42, and the apostles have been, been reapprehended. Uh, and remember, what, what happened last time they were apprehended? They were told strictly, do not speak in that name anymore. And so they find them doing what? Speaking in that name again. And so uh, these guys are not, not very happy as you look at the Jewish leadership. Now, um, as we stated before and how I framed it, this is a battle for the souls of the people of Israel. They want to influence, as it were, as you guys were discussing there, these people, like the way I tied it in, <laughs> Brother Scott. They want to be able to influence these people in a way that gets them to do what they want them to do. Uh, and this is how the Jewish leadership... They'll do it by any means necessary. They don't care uh, whether they have to deceive what they have to do. The end goal in mind is to get these people to do what they want them to do. Whereas you juxtapose that with the apostles who are truly teaching from God and giving them the information that they need to know. And this is, uh, uh, well, <laughs> you're going to see here that they, they want to silence this. Uh, truth does not need to be silenced, right? When something is true, it can stand on its own. It doesn't need all of this uh, chicanery on the side to get people to understand and believe it. So the Israel or Jewish, Jewish leadership had a message that was from truth. Would they need to squelch other people? Well, obviously we know, no, that's not the case. Uh, but you see here uh, this thing at play. And so what do they do? They go into damage control in, in verse uh, 24, where this high priestly team comes together and they say, boy, how are we going to deal with this issue? We put these guys in to lock up and now they're not there anymore. <laughs> what is this going to become? And we went back and looked at the same kind of attitude that was there with the Jewish leadership when they dealt with Jesus, right? They said, oh my goodness, they're going to try to go and snatch that body and they're going to say that he was resurrected. We need someone outside of that tomb, right? Why? Because that's the way they would have thought. But when you have truth on your side, you don't have to do anything like that. You don't have to be deceptive. Uh, and so they go into damage control because these guys are not where they place them. And they imagine, boy, this is going to spread and people are going to start following these people. Why? Because there might be some truth to what they're doing. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, in verse 25, we see that they find the apostles. And so where do they find them? They find them exactly where the angel or that messenger from God told them to go when he said to go and stand in the temple and Speak the word concerning this, the life. And we went into great detail to expand out. He's not just talking about the fact that they're standing there alive, right? That they're in front of them, having been out from these people that trapped them in. He's talking about this eternal life that now resides inside of these individuals that they can testify to. 
because they've been primed for it all throughout uh, Christ's earthly ministry. And so let's read in verses uh, 24 on the, we'll go through the 42 since this is the section that we're in. Uh, but verse four, uh, 24, <clears throat> it says, Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things, these things concerning uh, that they were not locked up anymore, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be or should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not straightly command you, you should not teach in that name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so also the Holy Spirit, whom God hath given to them, that obey him. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. Then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law and in reputation among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space and said unto them, you men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do is touching these men. For before these days, rose up Thutis, boasting himself to be somebody to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain, and all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. After this, uh, after this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of taxing and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it, can, it will come to naught. But if it be of God or out from God is the source, you cannot overthrow it. Lest haply you be found even to fight against God. And to him they agreed. And when the apostles had called or when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had, were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to pre teach and to preach Jesus Christ. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we're so grateful uh, for this day. Grateful uh, that uh, though we might not be suffering as these apostles did, that you have equipped us to handle all things because we have the same Holy Spirit that they have or had residing inside of us. And so we pray that uh, as we uh, continue through this study, again, uh, my goal and my hope is that we gain a better appreciation for what we have in Christ here today. 
and that we would be able to learn uh, more and more uh, from our origins as a church uh, how, we, how we're able to have and utilize what we have here today. We pray all these things in your blessed son Jesus' name. Amen. All right, and so point B, we see the finding of the apostles. So remember, uh, again, they're expecting when they send to get these apostles, where are they expecting them, them to be? Locked up in this room that's guarded on the outside by two guards. Uh, and there should have been no way that these guys are able to, to be loose. And again, they don't go into great detail about what happened there. But imagine, you're, you put these guys in the room, you put two people outside to protect them. There's no way out except through the front door. And what are you expecting here? If these guys are out, <laughs> either something supernatural happened, which we've, we've established that they don't believe in supernatural things, or... Maybe these two men were in on it. And again, they don't go into great detail here uh, about what happened. But we see that a messenger or a certain one came and told them while they're thinking through and judging what's going to happen concerning this thing. He came and told them what's really occurred. These two men that you're looking for, they're standing in the temple and they're teaching the word of God. And so the messenger or a certain one comes and lets them know this. And so the men who were in prison uh, uh, and told uh, to stop teaching the people. And this is the purpose for why they imprison them. They're in the temple or in the temple doing the very thing that they've been instructed not to do. And so in verses 26 through 28, we see the bringing in of these apostles for questioning. Uh, and it happens peacefully. Now, you would imagine, right, that uh, with the angst that they have concerning these apostles, that there would have been some violence to how they brought them in, right? But we don't see that. We see that they brought them peacefully. And what do they say? Or what does Luke say uh, in verse 26? They went with the captain, uh, with his officers, and brought them in without violence. Why? For they feared the people. How many times does that term, the people, keep coming up? <laughs> A lot, right? This is a battle for the souls of these people, for the influence of these people. And so if they were right, why didn't they bring these guys in, uh, capture them up and bring them in with violence? No, they bring them in without violence because, again, they want to influence the people. Uh, and what does it say here at the end? It shows you the power that these guys don't have. They're not only fearful of these people and the influence that they would have, but they're fearful that they might be stoned by these people uh, as a result of their uh, disdain with capturing them up. Top of page 54, uh, we see this at, um, mention of the people in other places that I want to look at uh, and tie to here. But go with me over to Mark chapter 11 and verse 32. And we see this concern regarding the people. Mark chapter 11 and verse 32. I've got it right. And pick it up at verse 27. And it says there, And they come again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, there come to him the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, and say unto him, By what authority 
doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority to do these things? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I will also ask you one question and answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? Answer me. And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he shall say, Why did you not believe? But if we shall say of men, they feared who? The people. For all men counted John that he was a prophet indeed. Okay, so you see this mental gymnastics going on in the minds of these Jewish leadership, just like you see over in Acts, right? They're trying to figure out in my mind, in their mind, how can we answer this in a way that doesn't knock off our influence with the people and make him look right uh, in front of them? Why? Because they fear that they're going to lose control. In verse 33, and they answered and said to, unto Jesus, we cannot tell. <laughs> Very political answer, right? And Jesus answering said unto them, neither do I tell you what authority or by what authority I do these things. We see something similar over in Luke chapter 22 and verse 2. And this uh, really disingenuousness <laughs> that comes with trying to influence people. And this Luke chapter 22 and verse 2. We can pick it up at verse 1. Luke, Luke 22 and verse 2. Thank mm-hmm. Thanks for keeping me in line. <laughs> Verse 1 of chapter 22, it says, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and scribes, here they go again with this group, sought how they may kill him, for they feared the people. And so you see here, they're not going to go ahead and go through with it yet, because why? They fear the people, the influence that he has over the people. Uh, And I think even inferred in that also is that they feared the influence that he was having on the people. And so you see this. Boy, you guys really set that influencing theme up with what you were talking about here before we got started. Right. Uh, But this attitude of influencing people and you see that with social media, that's all social media really is. Right. And we talk about these influencers and how they're able to wield influence over people because of the things that they say on their social media. This is what they're trying to do. They didn't have social media around back then, so they had to do it through word of mouth. But they affected people with the statements that they were making. And they had to back off sometimes and take a step back. And sometimes they were a little more aggressive in what they were doing to try to influence people. But uh, social media is nothing new. People have been trying to influence people all throughout the course of time. right? And you see it right here in the word of God. Uh, And so uh, back to Acts chapter five and verse 26. You see this influence that they're afraid uh, to lose over the people at work here in chapter five. And so it says they went to uh, with the captains, with the officers and brought them in without violence, for they feared the people lest they should have been stoned. And in verse 27, it says, and when they had brought them uh, in, they set them before the council and the high priests. And asked them, saying, did we not straightly command you 
that you should not teach in this name. And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Now, a very funny thing they're saying here. You intend to bring this man's blood upon us because these are some of the very men that were standing there and demanding, right? Demanding that this man be crucified, right? How many times did Pilate, and we can go back and look at it, we won't go there today, but how many times did Pilate, what did it say that Pilate was determined to let him go, right? He saw exactly what was going on and the political ramifications behind this. He knew that he had done nothing wrong. And he sought a couple times on a couple different occasions to appease them. Hey, here's, here's another guy that's actually guilty of a crime. Let me give him instead of Jesus. And what did they say? No, we want him. And then further, when he said, his blood is on your hands, what did they say? Let his blood be on our hands and our children's hands and our children's children's hands. They didn't seem too concerned about his blood at that time, right? And now all of a sudden, you intend to bring this man's blood <coughs> upon us, right? We're, we're innocent of his blood. Verse 20 or uh, verse 27, we see the appearance again before this council and then the questioning from the high priest uh, as they restrict or restricted the teaching of this name. Now, remember back when they were uh, had captured them before in chapters three and four, that this was part of the basis for them letting them go. Right. We'll let you go this time, but we straightly command you not to preach in this name. And they didn't answer them as they do now that they're about to do in this context where they say we ought to obey God rather than men. But that was the attitude of them before. Right. <coughs> they might not have said it, but that's what they did. We're going to obey God rather than you. We have a higher power that we answer to. And would the God that all Christians could have the attitude that we ought to obey God rather than men. This is not the attitude of a lot of Christians. Right. And I wonder what would happen if it broke out in this country that you're not allowed to meet in church anymore, right? We don't want you teaching in this name of Jesus. Would everyone stand up and be willing to go through and say, uh, we have scripture that tells us forsake not the assembling of ourselves together, right? I can answer that for you because a year ago, <laughs> people were very willing to obey God rather than men and expand far away from each other. Right. And I'm thankful that the believers of this church were willing to stand up and say we ought to obey God rather than men. We're going to gather together because that's what God tells us to do. And so uh, I can't say that for Christianity at, at large, but um, we will see as these things move forward. In verses 29 through 42, we see the defense of the apostles. And so Peter, it says apostles. So we know that there was more than just Peter here, right? More than just Peter. In last chapter, we saw it was Peter and John. Here, it doesn't name all of the apostles, but it says apostles, plural. And so Peter is the spokesman for these apostles and steps forward and is willing to speak. In verse 29, it says, and then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought, this word for ought is an interesting word that we find in scripture, and it has the idea of an obligation, or it is necessary, something that is of necessity, right? 
There's things that we need to do that sustain life, right? You need to eat food. You need to breathe air. You can't live without these things. It is a need that you have in life. And what they're saying here is we need, it is a necessity for us to obey God rather than obey men. This is a necessity. We see this here. We ought to obey God rather than men. Verse 30, uh, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you slew on a tree. And so in verse 30, we see this responsibility that's pointed to that they're going to say, ah, wait a minute, hold on. You're putting this guy's blood on our hands. We, it's, it's not ours. We see the God of our fathers, though, in this uh, speaking concerning him uh, of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob speaks to the fact that this is the same God that they are currently under who made promises to the nation of Israel. So it directly ties this Jewish leadership to the God that they're actually serving. Right. And so these apostles are being given direction straight from the God of Israel, who they say is this Jewish leadership that they're serving. And yet they killed the son that he sent. And if you went over into chapter seven, what does Stephen do? He gives a great historical narrative of how God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac, how he worked through this nation all the way over the course of time into bringing his son to die on behalf of this nation. And what did they do? They carried that out perfectly. Let's go over there real quick. We're, we're going to end up there anyway. And probably be a couple months at the rate I'm going. But <laughs> chapter seven of Acts. And I'm not going to read through this whole historical narrative, but you can look at it um, if you want on your own time. And you've probably seen it before, but uh, pick it up in verse 32 and we'll skip ahead after that. So he goes from talking about Moses and then narrows into uh, the fathers of Israel. In verse 32, he says, saying, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled and durst not behold. Then said the Lord to him, put off thy shoes from thy feet for the place where thou standest is holy ground. And so here's a tie in with the, the fathers of Israel. These three are considered to be the fathers of Israel. It's from them that all of the nations arise as you look at the 12 tribes of, of, of Israel. Uh, and so he goes on through that and he's given this historical account about what God did and working through them. Uh, scroll down just a little bit to verse 42. He says, then God turned and gave them uh, to up to worship the hosts of the heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets, O house of Israel. Have you offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of 40 years in the wilderness? Yea, you took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your God, Remphan, figures which you, uh, you made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. So what happened with Israel, right? God gave them a, a covenant relationship with himself, right? Perfect. There's nothing else that needed to be done or added to. He gave them a perfect relationship with himself. He gave them the law because they requested it, right? As we see in Exodus chapter 19, and they couldn't uphold it. And he gave them <coughs> chance after chance. He gave them prophet after prophet that he sent to talk to them and to testify concerning the things that he wanted them to do. 
And over and over again, they chose other gods rather than the true and living God. Even right after he brought them out of Egypt. Here he, he brings them out of Egypt. He brings them miraculously where their backs are to the wall. Nothing else can be done. They're standing literally with their backs to the Red Sea. No way out. Only God. And he parted the Red Sea and let them walk across on dry land. This is all in this context. He let them across on dry land. And he drowned the whole Egyptian army in the Red Sea. And he brought them through the desert. He supplied them with food where they had nothing. He supplied them with water where they had nothing. Over and over again, he shows himself to be their provision in every single situation. And what do they do? As Moses goes up to the mount and he's communing with God, they say, hey, let's make ourselves a God of gold. And they start worshiping the creation more than the creator right there in the desert. And so you see this. You see this over and over again. It doesn't end there. God delivers them out. He brings them into the land and they're worshiping again the gods of other nations rather than the true and living God. He sends them prophets. What do they do to the prophets? They kill one prophet after the other because they're saying the words directly from God that he wants them to know. And finally, just as he says in the Gospels, in that parable that Jesus told them, he sends his son. And what do they do to his son? The second person of the Godhead, the creator of all things. God in human flesh, and they kill him too. And this is what Stephen is testifying to in this, in this uh, context. Pick it up in verse 51. He says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you do always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets have you, your fathers not persecuted? And they have slain them which have showed before the coming of the just one, of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, their reaction is very similar to what we see their reaction is in chapter 5. They were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing not on the right hand, out from the right hand. This is one of my favorite parts of scripture, right? Because usually we see when it's stated concerning the son, he is seated at the right hand of God. Here you see clearly stated that he is standing out from the right hand of God. And I like to think, I got this from J. Vernon McGee, it's not mine, but I like to think he's waiting there with his arms wide open, ready to receive Stephen into heaven. And so he's, it says, standing out from the right hand of God and said, behold, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing out from the right hand of God. And they cried like little children <laughs> out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran on him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their clothes at the young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And so you see this uh, attitude here of hearing the truth, right? They're hearing it again here in, chap in chapter 5. 
and they don't want to hear it, right? The truth has a way of cutting to the heart of an individual. And you guys have, I don't know about you guys, I'll say myself, I've experienced it where someone tells you the truth and it's in opposition to where you're at and it convicts you, right? It stings you in the heart because you know where you're at is wrong and you have to make a decision. Am I going to go the way of truth or am I going to continue on in this course of action that I'm in? This is where they're at. Uh, and it, it's uh, a cutting uh, to the heart. In verse 29 of chapter 5, uh, or verse uh, 30, excuse me, he says, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Him have God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And so you see the point of the coming of the son, right? He didn't just come down for no reason. He didn't just decide one day, boy, I'm tired of sitting here on high. I'm going to go down and experience some of what's going on with them. Uh, you've ever heard of some of the stories of um, the Greek gods, right? As you think of, uh, well, I'm forgetting the main with Zeus and, and the way that he he just got bored from time to time and said, I'm going to go down and see what's going on uh, on land. Maybe I'm going to go down and take on a couple wives or do this and that. Uh, this is what people think of with gods, right? This is how we envision, quote unquote, gods or how men do that. But God the Son came down for a specific purpose, right? He came down to provide an opportunity for repentance for Israel. And then extend out from Israel to us. And we see this story play out over the uh, book of Acts. But in verse 30, uh, verse 31, we see the exalted position of the resurrected son. And so he is now a prince and a savior. This idea of prince is the idea of an author or ruler. We see it over in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Go with me over there really quickly. And so the author of Hebrews, speaking here concerning the son, right after talking about all of these examples in the 11th chapter of people who have accomplished great and mighty works, how? Through their own ability? No, through faith. And so in, in chapter 12, you see, we have more than they had, right? The theme of the book of Hebrews is we have something better. Not that we are better, but that we have been provided by God's grace something better than what they had. And so as you look at chapter 11 and see all of these great accomplishments of people in the Old Testament, you think how much more can we accomplish because of what we've been provided in Christ? In verse 1 it says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. How? Looking unto Jesus, the author. That word for author is that word that's translated prince over there in Acts. It's the beginner, the one that starts. What does he say in Revelation? I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. What does he say in Philippians? He who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the author, the one that it starts, the one that sets the pace for us. 
uh, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Back to chapter 5 of Acts. And so this prince, or ruler, the author, the beginner, the one that establishes our salvation and our savior. He has been made a savior for us as well, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. In verse 32, we see that, and we are witnesses, speaking of the apostles, of these things, so is also the Holy Spirit whom God hath given to them that obey him. And so what are they? They're ones that have been sent to testify concerning the death, burial, and resurrection of the Son and the provisions that have been provided as a result of that. And so as they're speaking these messages that they're speaking in the temple, they are not speaking anything that's made up. <laughs> they're only speaking to the things that they have seen happen in the flesh. You're talking about people who saw this man transfigure before them, right? He rolled back his, his bodily presence and let them see just a little bit of the glory that he had. He accomplished great works all throughout his earthly ministry. And they saw him die on the cross. And they saw him resurrected and in bodily form that they could see and appreciate. And then if that wasn't enough, what did they also see in the beginning of the book of Acts? They saw him ascend into heaven to where he is now seated at the right hand of God. And then they saw the Holy Spirit come down in chapter 2. And so they are testifiers to these things. Go with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And one of the things that's obscure, we talk about the gospel many times, and this being the, the gospel for salvation. But one of the things uh, that Paul writes here, showing the reason for this writing, and we know the backdrop that the Corinthian saints were having problems with the resurrection, right? They let people get in their ears and tell them, boy, are you crazy? <laughs> you think that somebody raised from the dead? What's wrong with you? And so they had come to this place where they were willing to dismiss the fact that Christ raised from the dead. And Paul takes this whole chapter of this epistle <laughs> to tell them how important the resurrection is to their salvation. How important it is, right? You have no salvation without resurrection. These people that are serving all of these other gods, and I like the way the pastor has put it before, that there are all these other quote-unquote gods. There's Buddha. There's all of these prophets. There's, there's uh, your prophet from, from Muslim faith. I'm, John Muhammad, there you go. There's all of these different people. What sets Christianity apart is that we have a Savior that came and took on human flesh, lived, died, and is resurrected and seated at the right hand of God. And this is very important and essential to our faith. Because if he is not resurrected, we have no hope of resurrection. And if we have no hope of resurrection, our hope is only in this life that we're living now. 
And so what is the point of us doing any of this stuff that it says in Scripture if we have no hope that extends beyond this life? You might as well live it up here, right? And so he says in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you are made to stand, by which also you are saved. If you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died on behalf of our, of our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of the whom the greater part remains unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles that uh, am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And so you see this list of apostles that he's talking about here and other witnesses. But mainly the thing I'm trying to get across is these apostles. It was essential that you had seen Christ to be an apostle. Interesting, a lot of people call themselves apostles today. Uh, Christ has been gone for a while. Uh, I, I don't know that he made a personal appearance to them or what's going on. I'll leave that uh, between them and God. But here it says that you were to have seen the resurrected Savior in order to be an apostle. And so what is Peter testifying concerning but those things that he's seen with his own eyes? And the other apostles are there alongside of him in this trial that they're going through as ones that can stand alongside of him and testify to these things. Two or three witnesses, I think it's stated in Scripture. This is something that's not just uh, brought up. This is something that was over the course of time. That one person couldn't just say something on their own and it'd be true. You needed witnesses to validate what it is that you're saying. Well, here's Peter. Here's the other apostles standing right by him. And really, if they wanted to do a legitimate trial, they probably could have gone out over Israel and looked for more people that were witnesses to his resurrection. We see there were above 500 here in this context. Back to chapter 5 of Acts. And so as Peter is talking about this, he's not talking about anything that he's made up, right? This is not... His doctrine. Remember, they say you are teaching your teachings. These are things from you. And he's saying, no, 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 no. We're telling you what we've seen and what we've heard and what we testify to. And it came directly from God and from his son. In verse 33, it says, when they heard that they were cut to the heart and took counsel how to slay them. A lot different from how they brought them in, right? And so they brought them in without violence because they were afraid for the people. But now they have an emotional reaction to what has been said. This man's blood is on your hands. You killed him and hanged him on a tree. We're preaching concerning him that's resurrected. You killed him. God raised him from the dead and he is seated at his right hand. Guess what? We want to kill you. <laughs> 
as a result of what you've said. There's only one way to stop this completely, and it's with your death. And so their emotional reaction we see is what's at work in verse, uh, your sub-point there for verse uh, 33, uh, 69, this, they were cut to the heart. And I didn't go in great detail about that. I meant to go and grab several other places. We saw one over there in uh, chapter 7 of Acts, right? Uh, you can, uh, I said it before, you can react two ways to something you hear. Now I'll give the pastor credit because when I was growing up, he used to say this to me all the time, right? People come and say things to you and you get upset with what people are saying. You don't want to hear it a lot of times, right? People say stuff that doesn't line up to what your idea of truth is. And what is the reaction of people normally when this happens? We react emotionally. <laughs> and the pastor would always tell me, there's two things that you can do when people tell you something. You can weigh it for if it's true <laughs> Or you can weigh it for if it's false. And if it's false, then just disregard it. <laughs> you don't have to listen to it. But if it's true, maybe it's time for you to take a look in the mirror and adjust what you're doing. These guys didn't have the ability to do that, right? <laughs> because that would take looking at things logically and saying what is true. These guys immediately had an emotional reaction because we know that they don't want their position taken. They don't want their influence over the people to be affected. And this is what's more important to them above what God desires in a situation. And so what do they do? They take counsel. How can we kill these guys without it influencing or affecting the people in a negative way? We'll come back and find out next week. Father, we're grateful for this day. Grateful for uh, the truth that's in your word. Grateful that we've been provided an opportunity to uh, see things uh, from your word that are true. Grateful that you've given to us uh, your Holy Spirit that provides enlightenment where our eyes might be darkened uh, to what truth is. We pray that uh, as we uh, continue on in our week and on our course that uh, you would Make apparent uh, those things that you desire for us, and uh, we might be able to put aside our own desires and do those things that you desire. Uh, for You've called us for a purpose, and that is to bring you glory, and sometimes our path and our desires get in the way of that. But well, we're grateful that your grace and mercy is, is greater than our uh, failures or shortcomings, that you are uh, able to get us to where you desire for us to be, as it says in Philippians 1.6. And so we pray that as we enter into the week, again, we, we look for those opportunities to bring you glory for it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.